This podcast is brought to you by the South China Morning Post. There's one sound you would hear in Hong Kong, London, New York, Tokyo, Riyadh, Lagos, and other cities across the world for the next four weeks. That's the sound of friends and strangers gathered together to watch the World Cup on TV. But you won't be hearing these sounds in China, which is a shame because football is huge in China, and President Xi Jinping is known for being a big fan of the sport. With this year's World Cup being in Qatar, the time zones means the games are being shown on TV in prime time across China, and the number of people watching is expected to break records. And it's not just the spectators who are invested in this year's World Cup. Four major Chinese brands, including smartphone manufacturer Vivo, have spent almost one and a half billion U.S. dollars on sponsorship. And the transport, accommodation, even the stadium where the final will be played, have all been built by Chinese companies. But while this is a sound you might be hearing in your neighborhood or your local bar district, in China, football fans are stuck at home. They can't watch the games at a local bar or on big screens in parks and town squares, because right now. Almost one quarter of the entire population of mainland China is in some form of lockdown, as daily cases of Omicron surge past 29,000. But while many of these millions of Chinese residents are watching the World Cup at home on their TVs, they are noticing something: people in Qatar are not wearing face masks, and it seems like they don't have to do mass COVID testing every day. In fact, the World Cup coverage seems to show everyone in the world has moved on to living with COVID, except for China, and people are starting to ask some very pointed questions. But this is not the only problem confronting the Beijing government and its zero COVID policy. Welcome back to the Inside China podcast. My name is Mimi Lau. And let me start by explaining some of the problems facing China's strict zero COVID policy. The World Cup matches are aired by the state broadcaster CCTV. This is the same broadcaster which has spent the last two and a half years repeatedly emphasizing the huge number of deaths and chaos. Experienced in America, in stark contrast to the safety of living in China. But airing the World Cup has shown a different truth. Perhaps as a direct result of this, one post on Weibo went viral before it was censored. The title of this post is "Ten Questions," and it starts like this. As a small citizen, can I get an answer to the following ten questions from the Health Commission and the Health Authority? It then asks a lot of questions you probably are very familiar with wherever you are outside of China. 
How dangerous is the Omicron variant compared to flu? What is the standard to lift restrictions? How useful are PCR tests? And why are vaccinated people still being infected? But then the questions become very specific about watching the World Cup opening ceremony and seeing tens of thousands of people from all over the world wearing no masks as teams from 120 different nations gather to play. Are they all living a normal life? Why should they live more freely than those in China? During the opening ceremony of the World Cup in Qatar, we didn't see anyone wearing a mask and we didn't hear that they needed to do PCR testing. Do they live on the same planet as us? Doesn't the coronavirus affect them? Other Weibo users said their children are asking why their home is so different from what they're seeing on TV in Qatar. And interestingly, one of the other questions was about Hong Kong. Hong Kong, which has a different political system and a much denser population than the mainland, has never done PCR testing for all employees. The city has been liberalized for several months now and its society is back to normal. Is there a hospital crisis? If there has never been a hospital crisis, why should the mainland be so worried about it? Doesn't Hong Kong have elderly people and children too? The truth is, there was a hospital crisis here in Hong Kong back in March this year. My colleagues here at the South China Morning Post witnessed and reported on more than 58,000 new infections and more than 200 related deaths every day. But that peak is now behind us. Now, we are still wearing a mask, but the restaurants, bars and venues are open. But not for the first three days after arrival for tourists coming to Hong Kong. And while step by step, the Hong Kong government loosens restrictions and declares to the world it is back and open for business. On the mainland, things are very different still. Earlier this month, the Chinese Politburo Standing Committee had announced a 20-point plan to slowly open up the country and to limit the social and economic impacts of zero COVID, including reducing quarantine periods, cancelling mass testing and reopening public venues. But last week, China reported the deaths of three people in the capital of Beijing, the first fatalities from COVID-19 in half a year. And now, Beijing and several other provinces are experiencing a surge in cases. Local governments now found themselves with a problem. Should they tighten COVID control measures to quickly put a stop to the rise of cases? Or should they follow the central government's orders in easing restrictions? In this episode, I'm going to take you to Beijing to hear firsthand about what's happening. But before I do, if you remember two weeks ago, I presented an episode about workers fleeing from the Foxconn factory in the central city of Zhengzhou. Over the past 24 hours, there have been new developments at the world's largest iPhone factory, with the situation escalating to violent protest. The last time you heard me speaking about the world's largest iPhone factory in Zhengzhou, it was about the workers who had climbed over fences and walked away over fears of COVID. This factory has been working in a closed loop since mid-October, with workers locked inside a factory, slipping in dormitories and forced to eat their meals on their beds because of some reported cases of COVID. But in the last 24 hours, the situation has turned violent. And once again, ironically, 
What happened has been documented using iPhones, and the video has gone viral on Chinese social media and on Twitter worldwide. First, there was the video showing workers breaking down the fences, blocking the gates into the factory, and people walking away. But then the situation escalated, as workers clashed with hundreds of police and security officers dressed in white PPE suits. In Chinese, they are now known as Da Bai, literally the big whites. They are videos of Foxconn workers being surrounded and bashed, and there is the footage of a large group of workers forcing the big whites into retreat, throwing all kinds of things at them, even wielding large poles against them. And once again, we find that what happens in the factories of China ends up affecting people around the world in one way or another. My colleague Coco Feng has been reporting on this developing situation at the Foxconn factory in Zhengzhou. Welcome back to the podcast, Coco. Hi, Mimi. Last we heard from Zhengzhou, it was about the numbers of workers leaving, literally walking off the job and walking away. Can you bring us up to date with what was done to find new workers to replace those who left? So Foxconn has been raising the pays and benefits to keep as many workers as possible to keep them working as long as possible. The latest one was from the weekend. They announced incentives for, for contractors who are willing to stay employed until March the sixth next year, and they can get up to eight thousand yuan, which is about one thousand and hundred U.S. dollars. There are some earlier ones like workers can get an attendance bonus, which is on top of their salary, four hundred yuan per day if they show up for a certain number of days in November. And there's similar policy for December as well. And also for those workers who fled the factory last month, Foxconn offered a bonus of five hundred yuan if they are willing to return. So, with all of these bonuses, did people come back, or they're hiring new people? And if so, where are these new people hiring from? I believe some of the people came back, but they're making efforts to try to hire new people, mostly from the Henan province, which the Foxconn factory is based, and also a small number of them are from provinces outside Henan.、Uh, within Henan province, because Foxconn is one of the largest. Taxpayers and employers in the province, so the local governments around the province have been helping to recruit workers for Foxconn. Some like village officials, they have tasks to hire like one to two workers from their village for the factory, and some city government officials have even been urged to join the factory for at least a month to help <laughs> boost production. The the most interesting one is that a county in Henan Province they posted a letter asking the veterans from the army, the People's Liberation Army, to quote and unquote answer the government's call and take part in the resumption of production, to to ask them to go join the factory. But letter was later removed. I don't know. This is 
dystopian or just hilarious. I mean, if Karl Marx could see, if China's planet economy is filling in for the shortfalls of capitalism to make iPhones. Coco, could you help us to put things into perspective in the sense of how is this current walkout different to the one happened in late October? So in late October, things were quite chaotic because the COVID-19 just broke out um, and workers had no idea. And they ran away mainly due to the fears of infection and lockdown controls. And many of them just fled the, the dormitory at night when the guards were, you know, uh, asleep or whatever. So Coco, you were, you were telling us about in last October, it was because of the fear of COVID. What do we know about this conflict between workers and police and security officials? How did it start this round? So this time they started around Tuesday, which turned very much more violent and bloody this time because the company initially promised to pay them bonuses if they work until February the 15th. And now they change it to March the 15th, which is an extra month they have to stay. So they were very angry about that. And they just you know, rushed out of their dormitory and had clashes with riot police and the safety guards there. So we saw many videos posted on Twitter and Chinese media yesterday from the scene of the confrontation between workers and the police. And we are seeing videos this morning of that conflict continuing overnight. What is the latest? So on the evening of Wednesday, which is day two of the protest, Foxconn offered to pay each worker 10,000 yuan, like 1,400 US dollars for each worker if they agree to leave the factory immediately. This is part of their decision to stop the riots as soon as possible. But some of the workers still stay there because they wanted to work there but get more pay. They don't want the 10,000 yuan compensation. Coco, you talked about how violent the protests have been. Could you give us an idea when you mentioned bloody what does that really mean? And also, what is your sense of the number of people participating in this protest? So from the verified videos on social media, we could see workers, they threw like sticks and bricks in the crowd. And um, there was one video about a worker being hit and his head was bleeding. But we are not sure about the reasons. And we could also see workers rushed out of the dormitory and overthrew the steel fences surrounding the, the apartments. And also they were smashing up the COVID-19 testing stands outside the factory. So it turned very violent and partially bloody. And how many people? I would say we could see from the video people standing outside dormitories in the public space and outside the factory, the assembly lines. I would put it at thousands of people. And are we able to speak to any workers on the ground? I'm only in touch with two workers who left the company last month, but they are in touch with some people on the ground. And they said that the situation now is much more terrible than last month. And because people were worried about not just COVID, but also about backtracked promises over bonus and the extension for their stay. That's right. Mm. So has there been much mention on Chinese media of this? 
or has it been totally scrubbed? I didn't see much reports about the protests, but I did see a report about the compensation last night that the company was urging to to pay people to leave. And many media were just sharing this news about the compensation. So after the 20th Party Congress, you know, China has really been presenting an image that things are sort of under control. The society is well managed. I just want to know, I mean, you're based in Beijing. You've been reporting the mainland for a few years on the ground. Does it come as a shock to you to see such a large scale protest happening in such a short period of time in a world renowned factory? Are you surprised to see this happening? I would say I was surprised, but my sense is that this protest so far is between the workers and the employer. Mm. Uh, It's not against the government yet. So I feel it's within the line still. And also Foxconn situation shows a China-based company struggle to comply with the government's COVID control, but still, you know, keep their their machines rolling, it's, it's quite a hard job now. I've been talking to a few workers. They were actually not afraid of, you know, taking up some protest because one of them said, There's an old Chinese saying that if you're barefoot, you're not afraid of those in shoes. Essentially, <laughs> I don't know how to translate that. Essentially saying, I've got nothing to lose. Yeah, yeah, they've they, they got nothing to lose. That's what he said. Now, as your story reported last week that um, these last few months of the year are normally the busiest times of the year for this factory as it tries to satisfy the demand from the US and Europe for the latest iPhone's orders. What is the forecast you think? First of all, at this time of the year, Foxconn really hires some 300,000 workers in Zhengzhou City, the largest iPhone factory, which is responsible for around half of the world's iPhones. And Chinese media, China News Weekly, last week reported that the factory is in need of 100,000 workers to resume full production. So you can tell the factory is in great labor shortage. Apple already warned delayed shipments of their iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max. I would say that there will be a delay for a certain period of time, but we could also project that Foxconn and Apple will move some of their capacity elsewhere. There was reports in August that Foxconn has already added some extra iPhone production capacity to its factory in India. So I would say a relocation of production capacity outside China. Coco Feng, thank you so much for your time. We'll watch for more updates. This is a fascinating story with huge implications. Thank you, Mimi. If you were listening to this podcast back in April, you might remember the voice of my colleague Luna Sun. She's based in Beijing, and back then we were asking her about the mood of Beijingers as the threat of a Shanghai-style lockdown seemed likely. So here we are in November, and Luna, it seems you're back at where you were seven months ago. What is the situation for you in Beijing right now? I think it's really tragic that last time when I was on your podcast, I was locked down. And right now, seven months later, I'm locked down at home once again. 
this time around, I found out on Tuesday morning that our building was locked down, but no one told us for what reason, whether it was because there was a positive case or we were at risk for being exposed to any close contacts of COVID. We don't know. And a date went by, the community workers told us that our building had a positive case and we will be locked down for five days from yesterday. It's funny that we were locked down on Tuesday, but according to their announcement, they only took away the positive person yesterday. So talk about efficiency. So Luna, back in April, you were telling us how your mom was able to stockpiling with food and food and groceries. But this time, you guys have no in advance notice whatsoever. How are you guys going about to prepare for this round of lockdown? So Tuesday morning, we were notified that we will be temporarily under lockdown. And on that morning, we received a bag of free vegetables from the community, which is a bad sign because that normally means that you will be locked down for at least five days. And since the beginning of this week, I've seen a lot of my friends living in Chaoyang are put under lockdown and people are just joking that we we finally have the opportunity to clear the inventory of the things we stocked back in April and May. Um, so I think that's really funny. So how many districts um, currently in Beijing are locked down? There are communities across Beijing in different districts locked down, but they're all scattered. There was never like official citywide lockdown, but back in April through May, we had a pretty wide lockdown where the district where I was living in were locked down and some other areas were partially locked down as well. So so they wouldn't call it a citywide lockdown like Chongqing or Shanghai, but dining services were shut down. People were ordered to work from home and a lot of normal activities were suspended. So I don't know how different that is from the citywide lockdown. Can you give people an idea of how big and how important the Chaoyang district is? Yeah, of course. Chaoyang is the biggest and most populous district in Beijing. It has roughly 3.5 million people and all the embassies and office towers are in Beijing. A lot of people commute from other district to work in Chaoyang district. It's one of the most bustling business district as well. There are a lot of shopping centers, restaurants, and entertainment areas. And now you, you can barely see cars on the street. And during evening rush hours, there are no traffic jams. It's just really bleak. And I just learned that a coffee shop that I used to frequent had been closed for a few months. And it's really sad because I don't know whether they'll be open again. And I've heard this sort of stories in recent months. So that's really sad to see a previously energetic and amazing city to turn into what it is right now. Chaoyang District, you talked about it being a bustling and one of the most popular district in Beijing, but it's also the heart and soul of China's political power. So Luna, we heard a lot of Chinese netizens are talking about this Weibo post on the 10 essential questions concerning zero COVID. What is the latest discussion so far after this post has been removed? Uh, that list of 10 questions, when 
viral online, and that captivated a lot of emotions and frustration Chinese people have been going through since the beginning of the pandemic, because it asked the questions that we never seem to have answers to. After that post was censored online, there was a counter response online saying that the 10 questions were biased and they were only intended to provoke emotions and they were not based on solid research. And the stringent COVID control policies in China are sound and they are intended to protect um, the vulnerable and the elderly. But at this point, three years into the pandemic, we never seem to get answers on the things that we are most concerned about, like why we're going through what we're going through and when this will end and why you can see in the World Cup that people were watching the game and enjoying themselves without a mask on while Chinese people have to be locked down at home and worrying if we will have freedom or food tomorrow. So I think at this point, three years into the pandemic, people's frustration have just reached a peak and we just want some answers. Are the Chinese people talking about the situation in Hong Kong or in India Um, or in Nigeria, as mentioned in the questions? I guess most people aren't talking about it. I think people are just so entrenched in our own mess. We have to deal with our health codes, our household pop-ups. We have to figure out if we will be able to return to our hometown during holidays. We have to figure out where is the closest COVID testing booth. We don't really have any energy or spare time to think about how other people are doing worse than us. So Luna, you mentioned the infamous pop-ups on your cell phone apps. Could you recap for us, how does that work and how is that affecting your life in Beijing? Um, Definitely. I was actually a direct victim of that. Back in the beginning of the month, I was on a reporting trip to Zhuhai to uh, report the air show. And around the third day I was there, I got a pop-up window on my Beijing household mysteriously. I didn't know why I got it because a lot of people who came on the same day didn't get it. And the same sort of uneven distribution happened to a lot of people. For example, I met three people from a Japanese television. Three reporters arrived in Zhuhai on the same airplane from Beijing, and two of them got the pop-up, one didn't. So nobody really knows how exactly it works and what you need to do to remove it. Nobody have a definite answer. And it seemed like the most practical solution is to call up the hotline, the 12345 hotline, but you can barely get through because so many people are calling it. And I filed complaints on the WeChat program three times a day, every day. So I did that for three days and I only received one reply saying that I'm not eligible to get my house call removed and I need to stay out of Beijing. So I was really frustrated and I talked to my editor and we were planning to get me to a low risk area where there had been no cases in the past seven days. In the afternoon, when I was returning to the hotel from the air show venue, I checked my house code and the pop-up has mysteriously disappeared. I had no reason why, um, because I didn't really do anything special. So I immediately ordered the flight ticket back home the next day and I got back. 
I was there with another coworker, and he never got a pop up the entire time. So it's all a bag of mystery, even until this day. Exactly.、Oh. So it seems that Beijing is facing quite a similar situation to what we saw in Hong Kong last January. That one of the biggest fears is about the lack of vaccination for the elderly people. Is there particular efforts or focus to get these vulnerable people on booster shots? Yeah, we have seen flyers since March to ask the elderly people to get vaccinated, but the vaccination rate has. Pretty much been plateaued since August, and the vaccination rate among people aged eighty and above is actually among the lowest in the world in China. I've heard news here and there that they are still giving out cash or presents to the elderly people who would get vaccinated, but I don't think that is working the way that they're intended to. What are the concerns for the elderly people? Why is that vaccination rate plateaued in August? I'm not really sure about why it plateaued, but I can talk about my grandparents. So my grandparents all have chronic situations, and their health are not in good shape. So they're afraid that the vaccination would bring any side effect that would worsen their health conditions. They are already in bad shape, and they don't really go out much. Especially under the current COVID situation, a vaccination is more of a danger to them than a safety cushion. So, Luna, the lockdown we saw in Shanghai it was consistent; it was citywide. But from what you just told us, it seems like what is happening in Beijing, the lockdown is happening on a mini scale,、um, scattered across the city and constrained within individual communities. Is there a community effort to help each other out during this difficult time? I think there's not that much of a sense of community in Beijing because back in Shanghai they had a lot of like group buying. We don't really have that here, and the social workers mostly did the job. I mean, in terms of mental health, me and my friends would talk online. We would check up with each other to see how everyone's lockdown situation is like. Have they been、um, freed? Things like that, but at this point, people are just so frustrated. We don't know where it's safe. Like I live in Chang District, and some other people live in Dongcheng District, but they're not safe either. Everybody are just mostly talking about their frustration. Nobody has a positive solution to offer. I can just imagine what is this kind of uncertainty and lack of transparency is doing to people's mental health,、uh, and I'm really sorry to hear that this is what you guys are going through in Beijing. But I really appreciate your time as well to coming on a podcast to share with us. Let's hope the next time we speak,、um, you guys are will be moving relatively freer. Thank you for your time, Luna. Thank you, Mimi. Factory workers rioting in Zhengzhou, lockdowns in Beijing, Guangzhou, Chengdu, and cities across China. All the while, hundreds of millions of people across China turned on their TVs every night and watched maskless crowds yelling and cheering at the World Cup in Qatar. The Weibo polls had ten questions, but really, there's only one question: How long can the zero COVID policy last in China? Keep up to date with everything you've just heard and the things you haven't heard yet at our website scmp.com. You can also follow us in what might just be the last days of Twitter at scmp news. 
I'm at Gzat Mimi. Thank you for listening. Bye for now.